This is WCM's Park Update, a weekly show covering the outdoor hospitality industry hosted by Ben Quiggle and Mike Gast. During each episode, you'll hear from special guests and campground experts on topics that will help your park flourish. WCM's Park Update is a production of Woodall's Campground Magazine. Hi, welcome to WCM's Park Update. I'm Ben Quiggle, editor of Woodall's Campground Magazine. And this episode is sponsored by New Book. Um, and for you guys who don't know what New Book is, it's a reservation software platform. Um, there's a lot of campgrounds, RV parks that utilize the New Book system. We're very excited to have them on as a sponsor. Um, so thank you, New Book. And uh, our, my colleague, Mike Gast, is here. Uh, former Vice President of Communications at Campgrounds of America. And our guest today is Nick Perslow, um, Managing Director of Glampitect. And you have a num- you probably have a number of different titles, right, Nick? Or you work yeah. with a number of different companies. So explain yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> As of recently, yeah. So thank you, Ben and Mike, for having me on. Really appreciate it. Um, so, so yeah, I've, I've been the, the managing director of Glamprotect North America, which is is, is Glamprotect US and Canadian branch for uh, mm-hmm. just over a year now. Um, and so, you know, that that business uh, aims to guide people through the process of starting a glamping business, uh, but with a particular focus on uh, due diligence when it comes to zoning and permitting. Uh, but we can also help with a variety of other things like feasibility studies, uh, site designs, permit applications, etc. Um, in the last few months, uh, I've added a few more titles. Um, so uh, Glampatech North America is actually, I don't know if I've ever sort of mentioned this um, but, but publicly, but it's actually in the process of being acquired. Um, nothing is signed yet, but, but that is the plan. Uh, hopefully by a and it's being acquired by by a, a startup in the space that is looking that is currently in the in the search for capital um so if anyone has loads of money that they want to chuck at us uh, feel free to send me a message um and, and yeah. i won't go into too much detail about about that startup but essentially um we'll be sort of looking to do revenue shares across north america um and that startup is going to be using glamping structures from ejh distribution uh, which is a company that distributes for uh, two different European manufacturers in the glamping space, uh, and so with all that sort of all that in mind, and we're all sort of coming together. Uh, I, I'm also now a business development manager for EJH Distribution. Um, so if you want any uh, really cool, unique glamping structures, then feel free to shoot me a message as well. Okay, yeah. Nick. For, and, first question yeah. is, Nick, how's business in the north in North North America? You've been here for a year now. What's what's going on? Uh, really exciting. So um, you know, I, I sort of. I got into the glamping industry in, in the UK back in uh, 2020, and I worked in in that industry for 18 months before making the the leap to to North America. And um, you know, there's a few differences in those markets. I would say uh, it's been you know, glamping has kind of been established for longer in the UK, um, but there's a little less variation in the types of glamping sites. Uh, maybe because the weather is basically the same everywhere across the UK, whereas obviously in, in the US and Canada, it uh, varies a lot more. Um, but but yeah, so I think I think the, the US market in particular is really exciting. Um, there's there's a whole lot going on, uh, both in terms of the mom and pop operators, you know, the ones who maybe have uh, a small patch of land and, and want to make it make money for them. And maybe want to put a few like bell tents or safari tents on there. Uh, all the way up to the big branded operators like AutoCamp, Getaway, uh, Under Canvas, etc. And that's something that you don't see in the UK. There's no real uh, venture funded 
big glamping brands in the UK at all, really. So um, it's really exciting to see the sort of divergence of, of, of business type types in, in the US. And um, I think, you know, we're only at the very beginning. Um, you know, it's still pretty, still pretty niche industry glamping. Uh, I still have to explain what it is to a lot of people, uh, particularly like planning yeah. departments, which is uh, a bit annoying sometimes. Um, so, so I think we're only at the very beginning. I think, uh, you know, th there is venture money behind those bigger brands, as I say, but I think there's a whole lot more to come. And I think we're going to see a lot more brands emerging, uh, which is kind of why I want to get into that revenue share space as well. Um, and yeah, really exciting place to be, uh, lots going on. We're getting lots of calls, um, and yeah, all sorts. So I think, I think, you know, we're yeah. only at the very beginning. So explain the revenue share part a little bit, Nick, is, is it, is it you, your company owning the, the structures themselves and revenue sharing with the landowner? Yeah, so we're not sort of disclosing too many details publicly just yet, because um, it is is quite early days, and you know we are in the in the search for capital. Obviously, if if anyone is interested in hearing more and they are interested in investing, then uh, we'll happily share our decks and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, the the idea is, you know, um, we would look to partner with with existing landowners, uh, supply them with glamping units, um, a whole sort of operational marketing and tech support stack. Uh, and then split the revenue. So they would be the, the owner of the business. We would essentially be kind of like a kind of half service provider, half partner, um, uh, but working very closely with them. And and we'd be, you know, looking at like a 20 year contract where we'd sort of help them uh, sort of set up and, and maintain their glamping business uh, throughout that period. I think one of the things that's really cool with what you have done, well, for one, Nick, you do a pretty popular podcast although probably not as popular as this one, um, you know, on a regular basis. So, uh, um, but you guys also have a great, a lot of resources on your website, uh, glampatech.com slash US for uh, Glampatech North America. And you have like, you know, buying guides for structures. Um, you also do different things on how to start a glamping business, zoning, you have a blog. I guess, you know, are you guys seeing a lot of traction to your website? Are you seeing a lot of people looking for stuff like that, that really just want to dive in to this kind of, you know, really read up on everything as they get their business going? Yeah. So, I mean, that was the whole strategy from the, from the start really. Um, so I sort of, I learned a lot about marketing when I first joined Glamprotect UK, as I say, back in 2020, and it's kind of copying that playbook really. They, they were working with a, an agency at the time who, and we're sort of implementing a blog first strategy where the idea is that you you write blogs that, that rank well um, for particular keywords. So, you know, there may be, I, th I think, you know, at the minute there's like 120 or 150 people per month uh, in the US or maybe in the UK. I might be getting my, my countries mixed up, but let's say there's 150 people per month so in, in one particular country searching for searching the term how to start a glamping business. Um, we would write a big guide on that, uh, which we hope is really, really valuable. Um, and it was sort of aimed to capture those keywords uh, so that when people search how to start a glamping business, that blog gets to the top of Google. Uh, and then, you know, once they're on that blog, there may be a few downloadable guides that they can download. And then that's that's a lead in our system so that we can, um, you know, if, if we want to call them or email them or keep them up to date with what we're doing. And they also, you know, are on our mailing list. So they, they're in touch with us and they can reach out if they want help with their glamping business. So um, that, that that blog strategy has been, you know, a big part of, of, of our marketing strategy, really. 
Uh, it's been neglected a little bit in recent months just because there's been so much obviously on my plate. But um, but yeah, that and, and then the podcast, which is uh, somehow seems to bring in a, a decent amount of leads as well and some really, yeah. really interesting leads as well. Some uh, people that are far more successful than I could ever hope to be seem to somehow be excited to work with me because of the podcast which which baffles me uh, to be honest but um yeah that that seems to, to work as a as a lead generating tool as well have you are you still finding are is there still a lot of interest in developing and creating glamping parks has that started to wane due to the economy at all or are people still finding the funding and and really excited about starting these projects so i mean i think there's 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 two distinct points there i think the first point is People absolutely are continuing to want to develop uh, glamping, glamping uh, sites, glamping resorts, whatever sort of term you want to use. Um, we've seen sort of, uh, again, our marketing has dropped off a little bit in, in recent months because of everything going on on my end. But um, but absolutely, we've seen no sort of real change in in number of uh, people expressing an interest, people searching for, for, for those like glamping related search terms, people listening to the podcast, our sort of viewership, listenership is, is increasing um so so no no difference in intention um money uh obviously the interest rates and everything like that uh sort of are making it a little bit harder to to uh, attract sort of um or, or get decent terms on loans um i know uh there's there's a there's one one big operator in particular one big branded operator that have sort of basically put a, a halt to all uh, new developments just just because uh, of, of the economy um that doesn't mean they're going to stop uh, forever but but they put a, a pause on it um so so yeah i mean i i think it probably makes development harder uh, but certainly in terms of, of interest uh we, we've seen no no real change so what have you what have you learned about north america glamping as far as the design of a park goes is is it a lot different than what you saw in in great britain uh Yes, uh, and I think that's probably because of the, the geography of it. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, the average Glampatech UK client has um, far fewer acres than, than the average Glampatech North America client. And that's just because there's more land in, in the US, obviously, than in Canada. Um, I think there's there's a, this may be stereotyping, but I think generally everything in the US is, is bigger anyway than, than, than the UK. Um, and so, you know, obviously that will, in the UK, we, because Glampatex UK does kind of like in-house design with in-house architects. And a lot of the time we're trying to figure out, you know, there's really not much space to work with. So how do we sort of maximize the number of units whilst uh, sort of, you know, maintaining privacy? Uh, have we lost Mark? Nope, nope, we're good. Yeah. Okay. Go yeah. Go um, and so, yeah, it's a case of trying to fit in maximize units while it's also sort of uh you know maximizing privacy as well in the us that's less of an issue just because there's generally yeah. each client has more land um and and i think that leads to uh nicer nicer resorts to be honest with you there's there's always generally more privacy um yeah the, the views are generally better um the weather is is generally better although in winter um I'm, well, I'm about to experience my first Edmonton winter, so I'm looking forward to that. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have a lot. You're gonna have a lot of more snow in Edmonton, I think. Yeah, maybe. so I've been told. So I've been told. Yeah. <laughs> is there is so like in the UK? Do they normally do glamping or camping all year round, or is that something that you know is more seasonal? No, I would actually say. Um, 
the UK glamping market is less seasonal than, than the US. Um, yeah. uh, and I, I think the main reason really is, is, is because the, the, the most common type of structure in the UK or the two most common type of structures in the UK are, are shepherd huts um, and glamping pots. Yeah. So shepherd huts are like the traditional, um, I, I mean, I don't know how you describe them. I don't know whether, you, whether people on this side of the Atlantic know what a shepherd hut is, but it's like a thin hut traditionally used by shepherds, essentially. Um, and, and they're generally smaller and more for couples, but again, wooden or, or sometimes like steel. Um, and, and, you know, a year round unit. And then the other really popular unit that is rapidly becoming the most popular unit is, is the glamping pod, which is, it looks like a kind of up, upturned boat, um, upturned mm -hmm. like U shape. Uh, and again, that, that's generally a timber product year round. Um, whereas in the US, I think there's a, and I think by the way, that's probably because the, the weather is less reliable in the UK. Um, and, and uh, you know, even in the summer, it can be, you know, like, 10 degrees C. Uh, so um, I suppose it sort of ensures you a little bit. Whereas in the US, there's a yeah. lot more safari tents, uh, bell tents, yurts, etc., um, which kind of necessitate uh, a seasonal business. So I, I, I've always think, you know, maybe maybe this is, maybe I've been biased from, from my sort of UK education, but <laughs> my plan is to always, my, my plan when we start these revenue share businesses is, is to do it year round and use year round structures just because I think, uh, it's silly to to sort of just uh, to miss out on, on all that business when there is when there is a market for winter glamping. So um, I, I think maybe that will that will sort of change and and, and it'll become more year round as, as the as the market develops. Yeah. So we like we do some on winter camping, and you know there are parks that have viewed that. Obviously, it's a zoning thing to some degree. Yeah. Some mm -hmm. areas just don't allow winter camping. Is that something that you think campers are going to demand more of, like where they're going to want more of the winter glamping? Obviously, RVing to some degree is a little difficult when it gets really icy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, when it's when it's like uh, icy, icy, and, and obviously, you know, the occupancy rates will always will always drop in in the winter compared to summer. Like that's just that's just natural. But um, I, I certainly think that there's a market for it. Uh, I, I mean, I think people out there are already proving that there's a market for it. There's there's plenty of successful uh, year-round sites, uh, including the some of the big branded operators as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, you know, I think the average camper is maybe a, a slightly different customer to the average glamper. Um, and so, you know, I don't know whether there'd be any sort of uh, discrepancy there, but certainly on the glamping side of things, there, there definitely is a market um, in, in the right places for, for year-round glamping, absolutely. So you've yeah. got a, yeah. a a website that that has a spot that talks about the journey uh, from finding land, kind of from the end to end, mm -hmm. the planning, the feasibility studies. Uh, I'm sure that when customers find you, they may be, they may be at various points along already. They, they what my my question is: What's the biggest mistake that glamping operators are making by the time you get a hold of them? Um, I would say, and we're doing our best to uh, sort of educate people on this and, and minimize this, and I hope we're doing a, a reasonable job of it. Um, but I, I would say a lot of people just just don't take zoning and permitting seriously enough, um, and you know they may buy spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, on a property, and they need to find out that they, they can't do what they actually want to do on the property. Um, so we we spent, you know, if you look at a lot of our blogs and podcasts, a lot of it is. Uh, make sure you check your zoning before you do anything uh, just because you don't want to waste your time or money on, on a project that's never going to happen. 
Um, yeah. And that applies that applies to, you know, people may own a, an existing property and uh, start developing it and get into trouble later down the line. Or it could apply to someone who's looking for a property and is just thinking, oh, okay, where, where's a really nice location? Where, where's there going to be loads of demand? Uh, and let's just go, let's look at this property this week. Let's look at that property next week. Um, and don't stop to consider um, zoning. So what we always endorse is, is what we call the zoning-led approach, where um, instead of going from property to property, we would always say, okay, you know, let's say you're looking at uh, in an area that encompasses five different counties. Um, check out the zoning of each of those counties first. Figure out whether you're able to, or you, you're never going to be able to know for sure until you put a permit application in, but you can certainly mitigate a lot of risk by doing that basic research, reading the zoning code and figuring out a whether you're allowed to do a glamping project in any of those counties and b figuring out which zoning district you're allowed to do glamping in uh, and then if you do that basic research you can then say okay we might forget about these two counties we're going to target these three counties and we're only going to be looking in these zoning districts within these counties uh, and that would just save you a whole lot of time be a lot more efficient and, and potentially save you a whole lot of money by preventing you from sort of diving headfirst into something that that, um, that isn't going to be feasible in, in the long run. So we're, we're a few yeah. years in a few years in the glamping now. Is the glamping guest evolving as to what they're demanding or wanting out of a <clears throat> glamping experience? Um, yes, I, I would say, um, you know, maybe, maybe I, I mean, I, I was, I mean, I, I would say the first sort of glamping site in the U.S. was or first well-known glamping site in the US was was the first under canvas site in in 2009, and I was nine years old then, so I can't I can't really comment on what the what the industry was like then. Um, but um, I would say, you know, I know for example that that ensuite bathrooms um, and uh, are, are becoming more important, and I think uh, you know, for example, in the UK, it's it's just expected that there's ensuite bathrooms. Um, I would say there's a slightly less of an expectation that that's the case here now, uh, but that I think that will only change as, as the standards get set. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, I think uh, taste will be sort of upgrading as, as, as time goes on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we have to take a short break uh, and we'll be right back. We need to recognize our sponsor, New Book, and we'll be right back with Nick. Calling all campground operators, owners, front desk heroes, and more. Say hello to your show sponsor, New Book, your connected hospitality management solution, packed with the power to streamline your operations, maximize revenue, increase bookings, and deliver memorable guest experiences thanks to its suite of innovative and easy-to-use tools, backed by an expert customer support team cheering you on 24-7. So if you're ready to level up your campground and unlock more opportunities, Head to newbook.cloud to start your journey today. Hi, welcome back to WCM's Park Update. And we are talking with Nick Perslow from Glamp Attacked and uh, just about glamping, I guess, and some of the differences between the UK and what you what you see here and the market moving forward. I guess, um, you know, as, as I look at the glamping market, it's kind of interesting. Even the glamping market's kind of segmenting itself now. Under Canvas has like a new brand they just came out with that's supposed to be like super luxury versus maybe some of the other Under Canvas parks. Do you see more segmentation like that coming down the road for the glamping industry too, where you're going to have these like ultra luxury glamping destinations and then you're going to have kind of the, uh, you know, lower end glamping there's going to be a, a huge stretch there 
um, yeah, so, so to answer your question, yeah, I think I think there um I think there absolutely will be more segmentation. Uh, as I say, there's there's been some sort of venture funded uh, brands in the space already. Uh, and I think there's only going to be more money piling into the space um, as time goes on, as as investors, whether that's, you know, uh, VC firms, whether that's hotel groups, whatever it may be, uh, are starting to realise just how good the returns can be. Uh, you know, a, 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 you know, it's not uncommon for, for a glamping site to return its investment in, in two or three years, uh, which I think is, is pretty much unheard, unheard of in, in most real estate. So. Um, I, I absolutely think the more the more money that, that comes in, the more sort of distinct brands will be created and the more innovation there's going to be. And, and that under canvas uh, sort of sub brand or sister brand, whatever you want to call it, um, is a perfect example of that. So, yeah, absolutely. As I said earlier, I think we're only at the start and, and we're going to be seeing a lot of standards set, standards driven uh, and, and a lot of you know, new brands and developing brands as, as the years go by. Is there... Do you do do you deal a lot with uh, existing campground owners around North America that are looking to expand into that? And how does that all fit together when you've got traditional tenting and traditional RVing, uh, and and maybe even a little bit of deluxe camping going on in in, uh, in structures? And all of a sudden, they kind of want to break out and have another whole a whole thing. Do, do the customer bases fit together well? Yeah. So it's less. Um, it, it's something we've dealt with a little less at, at Glampitect, um, just because they, they, you know, existing campgrounds probably will, 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 you know, by nature have fewer zoning issues and permitting issues um, than say someone developing on raw land. So they kind of need our help a little bit less generally. Um, but at EJH, where, you know, where we sell the glamping structures, uh, we've literally just put up, uh, I think five or six structures um, t- 20 minutes down the road from us um, in it or just outside Edmonton. Um, on an existing campground, Half Moon Lake, uh, and that's you know that's that's a mixture of camping, RVs, and as I say, this, this summer they, they've just added glamping. So um, certainly that there is definitely demand from existing campgrounds. Um, it, it gives um, you know the, 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 the campground owners will be able to charge a higher nightly rate for for those luxury glamping units as opposed to you know a, a, a camping site. Um, one thing I would say is that in general, I, you know, I don't have the hard data to back this up, but um, based on observation and just sort of uh, logic, I suppose, I think that the achievable nightly rate for a campground putting your luxury glamping unit on uh, versus a bespoke glamping site, uh, I think that the former would probably be able to charge us, wouldn't be able to charge a high nightly rate as the as the bespoke glamping site, just because I think. Uh, if you're looking to create that sort of true luxury private experience, I think that's maybe um, affected a little bit by if there's, you know, 100 camping sites and 100 RV spots on on the same park versus, you know, just six pure glamping units surrounded by acres. Um, but that absolutely does not mean that that buying a glamping unit, if you're an existing campground or RV park is a bad investment. As I say, we see it a lot. Um, it definitely allows them to charge a higher nightly rate it's just maybe compared to to a pure glamping site you, you maybe just have to uh, temper your expectations a little bit uh, but again you, you could still comfortably charge you know over a hundred dollars a night maybe over two hundred dollars a night uh, if you put a if you put a nice glamping unit um, on, on the campground presuming you know the market is right and everything like that yeah so when I know you mentioned zoning earlier zoning and you mentioned it here just a little bit ago uh, zoning is never easy Mm-hmm. Even for like new RV parks, campgrounds, it's difficult. I know on the glamping side, we seem to see uh, 
you know, officials kind of concerned about the permanent permanency of the structures. Is that something yeah. that you hear a lot of? Um, how do you tackle that um, from a zoning perspective? How do you get in front of these officials and say, you know, you know, these are tents, you know, are they able to take them down um, if there's weather events, different things like that? So the answer, as is, is it always is with these these sort of questions, is it, it depends. Um, zoning is 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 almost always done on a county by county basis, um, and you know obviously city by city as well. But generally, when we're talking glamping, they're out in the in the rural areas, so it's generally in the county jurisdiction. Um, yeah, and so it, the answer will always vary depending on which which specific juris, jurisdiction we're speaking of. Uh, but in, in general that yeah there's a whole lot of confusion no one really knows there's no standard set or anything like that um yeah for example we were looking at, at putting some 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 of the EGH, EGH uh glamping units uh, in a place just outside of charleston um and and they would have had to be built to not only residential standard building code but also to meet hurricane code so they would have needed to meet 140 mile an hour wind speeds yeah um which any any canvas structure is i don't think there's any canvas structure in the world that's going to meet those wind speeds um and so you know we're saying okay is there a, is there a is there a workaround here you know maybe we, we take the, the structures down uh, during hurricane season or, or whatever um and you know they just that you know they, they wanted the project to happen but the way they applied the rules they just wouldn't budge so they said if they're up for one day they need to meet building code and, and you won't be able to um take them down at all uh, that's one county, you know, that's the extreme end of the spectrum. There's others that, that I mean, some counties don't even have building code and they just don't care, um, which is uh, good for the developer's point of view. Uh, and then generally, you know, somewhere in the middle where, um, you know, you may need to meet some kind of building codes uh, or, you know, maybe you, know, you don't need to meet building codes if it's temporary, but it really does vary. Um, I know, I think last time we were at the glamping show, uh, Ruben Martinez at the American Glamping Association yeah. mentioned something about, you know, maybe trying to sort of lead a, uh, a movement to try and get some kind of clarity. Um, I don't know how that's sort of developing, but for now, uh, it's a bit of a wild west out there. And that's that's another reason to do your zoning and permitting due diligence is, uh, you know, if you can find a county uh, that, that has no zoning and no building code, um, then your your development process is far far easier uh but obviously you do have to take into, into account the market as well and make sure there's enough demand but um yeah we, we'd yeah. always sort of recommend uh, trying to find somewhere where where the development process is going to be easier and, and you can only know that through through doing the research so yeah Nick, it's what, kind of go ahead yeah it's kind of interesting on that front though too because there are counties where these projects will go toward to and they realize, oh, we don't have any zoning. And then all of a sudden you get slapped with a moratorium, which uh, yeah. I think there's a couple of communities in Maine. Um, there's actually a project up in Maine where they want to get going. And they're like, oh, we don't have any zoning. Oh, 180 day mor moratorium. We, mm -hmm. You can't do anything for 180 days. So that's been kind of interesting to watch too. So Yeah. And and we, we I'm speaking with a client at the minute who's in that exact position. Uh, yeah. And one thing I would say to that is 180 days doesn't mean 180 days because they'll <laughs> more than likely extend that. Um, yeah. I think this this yeah. the client I was speaking to I think it maybe started as a six month moratorium and and is has been two years basically. So yeah. um, I I would certainly say you know if if you're in a if you don't have land and you're looking for land and there's a place that's put a moratorium on. 
uh, I, I would probably recommend just 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 <laughs> looking elsewhere uh, and, and trying to find something else, just because uh, yeah, it could be a nightmare. And 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 um, well, we yeah, and I've seen them come out of the moratoriums with really strict zoning rules yeah. too. Um, yeah. There was one that just came out, and they had some really strict zoning rules. So it's like. Well, you waited for the moratorium, but now you still can't do anything because their new zoning rules aren't going to let you do anything. Yeah. So it's, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it can be a nightmare. It can be, and, and so, and a lot of the, a lot of the times, you know, I, I understand, you know, planning departments are just trying to do their job and look after their communities, but yeah, um, uh, sometimes I think it it swings too far, and and you know, they just don't care about about people that want to sort of develop something that's going to bring economic benefits to the community and they'll happily just just oh yeah we'll sort it later yeah. we'll sort it later and that's how you get the moratorium that starts at six months and, and is still there two years later just because there's there's very little urgency to uh, introduce yeah. these rules and let's be honest it's, it's more work for them they probably you know bureaucracy and people being people they probably don't want to add the load of extra work to their plate so they're kind of happy just sort of just passing it yep. off and, and, and delaying a little bit. Yep. Nick, Nick, what's the uh, what's the lag time once a owner decides he wants to have a pod, for instance? What's the lag time between ordering and, and delivery? Typically? I mean, it, it depends on on the on the uh, manufacturer. So uh, at EJH, for example, we have two different European manufacturers. So uh, you obviously have to account for shipping time. Um, our, our structures are pretty high end, uh, so um, you know. Uh, they obviously, you know, take some time to manufacture more than just like a, a basic belt end. Uh, but, you know, at, at one of our, our manufacturers, the Ward, uh, we can get them from, you know, built and, and, and shipped from the Netherlands to, to Canada in, you know, four to six weeks. Um, mm. And that's because the Ward is, is, is you know, it's, it's just turned 75 years old, uh, is has got, you know, quite a lot of manufacturing capacity. Uh, whereas, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of manufacturers in the industry just because the industry is so new uh just don't have that capacity uh so for example in the uk sorry to keep bringing it back to the uk but it's kind of a, a good example of a place that's yep. that you know there's a lot of comparisons to be drawn uh glamping pods have become all the rage in the last five years five years ago you know basically didn't exist now they're everywhere um and yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of manufacturers kind of I don't want to use the term got lucky, but they were just there at the right time, are able to build a nice looking timber structure and have, have somehow you know managed to make you know millions um but they're still sort of catching up and, and and adding to their manufacturing capabilities and there isn't that big venture money or big uh big funding money in the uk or certainly it's not as readily readily available so you know you can be looking at six months for a glamping pod in the uk just because the the sort of capacity isn't there um, and and it's not a million miles off with with some other structures in the US as well, just because the industry is so new and and the manufacturers maybe are, are struggling to, to sort of keep up with the demand. But uh, again, it, it will get there. Again, there'll be more money being yeah. put into the space, and uh, I imagine the lead times will eventually sort of uh, settle down a little bit. So, are you yep. are you looking for manufacturers on the in North America to handle that load? Uh, well, so at EJH, I think we're you know we're happy with. We're very happy with, with our manufacturers in, in Europe. Uh, we, we're a distributor rather than a manufacturer, um, so I, I can't I can't speak for us. Uh, but I'm sure uh, I'm sure there, there is a lot of room for for other manufacturers. I'm still very surprised that that glamping pods haven't made an appearance in in the US. I think there's one one company maybe in Canada that does them, but um, you know they're certainly not haven't like captured a huge portion of the market. So 
it'd be interesting to, I'd be interesting seeing whether something that is you know so in demand in the UK whether that ever catches on over here um I don't know they are again probably a little maybe a little small for US tastes um but uh, we'll see I'm, I'm sure there's going to be lots of innovations uh, and, and I'd be it'd be remiss of me not to mention uh, the tubo structures that EJH uh, distribute. Uh, they're they're, tip, they're they're a great example of sort of an innovative structure that is you know they're like a long cylindrical tube that you know you won't yeah. see anywhere else. So uh, I'm sure there's going to be more innovations like that um, coming. So again, we're, we're only at the very start. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Well, um, Nick, we have to get going here. I know you have. You're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. But it was great uh, uh, seeing you, Nick, and uh, just hearing from you. I'd also mention, you know, Woodall's Campground Magazine just came out with a look at the unique accommodation sector and the park model sector in our September issue. So anybody can go to WoodallCM.com and see a digital edition of that magazine. And we do talk about, um, you know, the the build times and we explore a bunch of different units. So that maybe would be helpful too to developers or park owners out there looking to uh, get another unit. Um, but thanks, Nick, for coming on. Uh, it's always great to see you. And I imagine I'll be seeing you at the glamping show here in another month. Yes, so, you'll be. And I can't believe it's only a month away already. It's scary. I know. But yeah, I look forward to seeing you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited about the glamping show and uh, I look forward to seeing you in person. And thanks everyone for watching this week. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to WCM's Park Update, a production of Woodall's Campground Magazine. Join us for a new show each Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn for daily news and updates, and subscribe to our news feed on our website at woodallscm.com. Show hosts are Ben Quiggle and Mike Gast, executive producers Rick Kessler and Alex Burkett. Copyright 2022, G&G Media Group.